I shouldn't be bewildered when God judges a nation, any nation, upon the earth that leaves His Word, that refuses to come under the authority of not part of His Word, but all of His Word. You see, friends, here's the reality for all of us. We will go out into our community. We will read our Wall Street Journal. We will turn on the news. We will hear of the wars that are raging around the world, conflicts and the the things that threaten economically, bank collapses and the like, that, that threaten to undo the fabric of our nation and our way of life. And something in us trembles at the thought of the reality of what would happen if the worst in all of these cases culminated and our, our way of living, our ease and luxury were somehow taken away. Boy, we really better put good politicians into place that they would insulate us and protect us from all of the problems out there. And do you see that that's the exact attitude that these people had? They had amassed for themselves people who had wisdom in an earthly sense. They had concocted for themselves diplomatic strategies that would apparently resolve the conflicts that they were facing, but all the while they ignored and neglected the one true problem that has been crouching at the door of humanity every single day of every one of our lives and in every generation, and that is the problem of sin and unrighteousness. And ultimately what we find in reading chapter 12, or or verse 12 of chapter 4 of Lamentations is this, that all of us, underestimate the effect of sin in our lives. But the destruction when it comes, when God executes His judgment, it is altogether beyond calculation. With that in mind, would you rise to honor these words? Again, the city having been brought low here, not by bombs and not by armies as a first-hand reality, but rather the city has and the nation has been brought low because of the sins of so many. And so let us read this knowing that these words are inspired by God, and let us read them soberly knowing that we stand in our own generation in light of similar problems. Jeremiah laments here, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away! Unclean! People cried at them. Away! Away! Do not touch! So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord Himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. These are God's humbling words to you and I today, beloved. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come into your presence this morning, trembling at the weight of these words. I pray, Father, that you would inscribe their meaning on all of our hearts, that we would live repentant lives before you, not seeking 
those who would preach to us according to our own passion, but that we would seek to understand your word rightly in the power of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah's concern here this morning to you and I is not just to concern the what of the happenings of Jerusalem and the nation after the judgment of God, but to convey to us the why of its happening. He's not looking just to pin this on someone, scapegoating someone. He is dealing with the reality that ultimately all people in the nation to some degree or another are guilty and under the condemnation of the Lord. But ultimately he comes this morning to deal with one group and to square off with them face to face. To place at their door the blame that is rightly due them. And this isn't a new topic. He's, he's been hinting at this all throughout his lament. What we learned last week, uh, again, uh, it, we find in verse 11, that God had ultimately judged the nation, giving full vent to His wrath, because again, the people had left the oracles of God and, and their sin and, and their punishment were ultimately in leaving the Word of God more heinous, we saw in verse 6, than anything that had been done in Sodom, than anything that unrepentant, unregenerate people had done. It was worse than that. And so in verse 11, remember the weight of these words. The Lord gave full vent to His wrath. He poured out His hot anger and He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. God had judged the women, the children, the young, the old, everyone, down to the foundations of society, had reaped the wrath of of God and the question that Jeremiah answers for us this morning is why did God do this? Now verse 12 again tells us that no one thought this was coming that the kings of the earth the wisest among the the nations at this time thought that this would be an unthinkable outcome but then comes the succinct declaration of the why and the reason is because of the sins the iniquity of the prophets the priests those who were supposed to lead in a religious spiritual sense Calvin says that the prophets and the priests were the two eyes of the church in this economy they were the people who were supposed to give sight to the nation to help them understand the deep spiritual truths that God had revealed in His Word. But they had failed in their task. You all know that I think theology is important, don't you? I've just found a new text that proves this without question. Because these men were not concerned really with the Word of God. They were concerned with everything going on outside of the Word of God. They were concerned with the approval of men. And so they preached to gain the approval of men. 
There's something that we need to see here in the text. If you look back, at it, some of your translations are probably going to be a, a little bit different, but if you look back at verse 6, for the chastisement in the ESV of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. And translation here emphasizes in that particular verse the effect of the sin, the chastisement, the punishment that Israel has received is greater than that of Sodom. But if we really dig into, and Braxton and I were talking about this after service last week, if we dig into the text a little bit, we will see that these words for, for chastisement and punishment are actually interchangeable with words that connote iniquity and sin. And so when we come, and now just for a second, think about that reality. That in the Hebrew language, iniquity and chastisement, punishment and sin are the same words. This, the same vocabulary is used. You see, in our way of speaking, we, un, we, we disconnect the act of the sin from the punishment. Those are two different thoughts. But the reality for the people of God in this economy was that to sin was the punishment in and of itself. There was no disunity there. To dishonor the Word of God brought judgment and the acting out apart from the Word of God was the judgment. Now we'll see the consequence ultimately later. Uh, but what we see here in verse 13 is that when... Jeremiah says this was for the sins of her prophets, the iniquity of her priests. Those same words have just been used as being the weighty matters of verse 6 being worse than that of Sodom. Does that sound familiar to our day and age? Friends, we have many women and men who rise to stand behind the pulpit this morning to proclaim that the sins going on in Sodom weren't really that big deal. And to justify sin inside of what they call churches. We live in a day and age where there are so many who delude the truth of God as well. Religious leaders ultimately had sinned against the nation by leading them in the wrong direction. And what is, I think, more astonishing? Look again with me at, at verse 6 and see if you notice something. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. Now again, if we want to translate this, for the sin or iniquity of the daughter of my people has been greater than the iniquity of Sodom, we see that those words are used there in the singular but then when we move down into verse 13, they are made into the plural. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests. Verse 6 says that as a nation, the problem that we have is the singular uh, iniquity or sin that pervades the nation. And where those individual realities are ultimately buttoned into are the individual acts of the priests and the prophets. They have 
in many different times and in many different in, uh, instances in this economy subverted the Word of God and that iniquity, that sin, those individual acts has come full bloom into the nation, into an entire way of thinking and an entire way of life such that the living uh, 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 before the living God was worse than that of Sodom. And here, Jeremiah makes it absolutely unambiguous that the destruction of the nation is their fault primarily. Friends, can I tell you this morning that I believe after 10 years of ministry, one of the greatest disservices that we do and have done, especially in Baptist services, is to press upon people an outward call to the ministry not really being concerned with an inward call to the ministry. Uh, We will take a group of teenagers. It made me puke when I was a youth pastor. Still does. And we'll put a teenage child under the, the sound of a manipulative pastor, preacher, goofball, I'll stop. Um, And that person will manipulate the affections of a teenager. You know how hard that is to make a living doing that? It's cheap and disgusting. To make that individual think that if they do anything other than preach with their life, they've somehow done less than what God wants them to. And I have seen bushels of people under the weight of trying to do the work of God without the inward calling of God. It's soul-crushing. They'll find their identity wrongly in that calling. They will think of themselves as if I can't accomplish this, then somehow I am less of an image-bearer, less of a child of God. And what they can never understand is ultimately the reason they feel all of that weight is because they have been spiritually abused and manipulated into an office that God has never called them to. And friends, this morning, I don't, I don't mean to bash our Catholic friends, but we're not Catholics. We don't believe in classes of people. We don't believe that Jay or whoever preaches from this pulpit is somehow better than, than the individual who labors at, at a, a, a different job outside of vocational ministry. We are all called to work unto the glory of God. And somehow manipulating... Listen, friends, can I tell you this morning? The God of the universe who has hung the sun that we are seeing this morning in in, in space and that gives us breath at this moment and and who gives us energy to sing and, and, and this entire happening, He doesn't need us to manipulate people into working for Him. He will call those whom He will call. And we'll get to the full flowering of that reality at the very end when really we deal with the fact that we're all called. Don't listen to this about the priests and the prophets and say, well, I'm not in vocational ministry. This has nothing to do with me. That's a misinterpretation of the text entirely. Because we are all a kingdom of priests in some sense. There is the priesthood of the believer. Every one of us is called to herald the Gospel. The question is, are we doing that faithfully and in accordance with God's Word? And this verse teaches us that God ultimately won't tolerate 
from those who claim to be called by him a withholding of his word. Friends, can I tell you that a good 75% of my undergraduate work at Baptist Bible College that this church has supported for decades was nothing more than educating me to put on a circus to entertain people. And that in light of these words, that God will not tolerate His words being obfuscated. What a foolish thing that we do. So then we come to the question, okay, if God is judging these prophets and priests, which He is, what are the acts here? Well, well, verse 13, the second part sheds a little bit of light. Who shed in the midst of her, that is Jerusalem, the blood of the righteous. It's interesting to see here uh, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. And and this one word in Hebrew is translated differently. And in verse 1, we see it scattered. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Don't miss the poetry here. And then in verse 11, we see that the red-hot anger of God in verse 11 is poured out against the nation. So the people of God have been scattered and the anger of God has been poured out. And ultimately, what verse 13 does is tie those two realities. Why are the people of God scattered? And why is the anger of God against the nation of God? And the answer is because the prophets and the priests have poured out the blood of so many in the streets. Now what does this pouring out of blood mean? What is he talking about here? And some would say that they have, uh, this has a poetic connotation that the priests had at some level um, done something with the sacrificial system, bought into a secular uh, <clears throat> slaughtering maybe of innocent uh, lives, children, some pagan practice, but I don't know that we find that really in the economy of the text. I think what is more apt we find In Jeremiah chapter 26, listen to these words, Then Jeremiah spoke to all of the officials and the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city and all the words you have heard. Now therefore, mend your ways and your deeds. And obey the voice of the Lord your God. Jeremiah's message was not different than our Savior's message. Repent and believe. And the Lord was... Uh, And the Lord will relent of the disaster that He has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to you to speak all these words in your ears. You see, the nation of Israel had this problem. God would send prophets, and what would they do continually? They would murder them. They didn't want to hear the words of God. They wanted to prop up for themselves preachers who would suit their own passions. 
And this has been a reality in every generation and in every day. Matthew, in the New Testament economy, says this, Jesus speaking in chapter 23 of Matthew, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood bloodshed on the earth. From the blood of, of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kill, the, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You know, I remember Jesus saying somewhere that His sheep will hear His voice and they will follow Him. The people of God respond to the Word of God by the Spirit of God, but the religious crowd always want to mutilate and reject the words of God. You see, the real issue is that the people wanted prophets here to suit their own passions. And the false prophets were willing to go along and they always have been, friends. It's not a small problem in our day. Don't think that this is a remote issue only for Jeremiah. This is a red-hot issue. If the papers were aligned rightly with the Spirit of God, they would read this morning that we need to beware of false prophets. And the headlines would be filled with examples of people who will stand and they will claim to be followers of Christ. But Jesus says that they come falsely in His name. We find in Jeremiah chapter 6 a, a, a kind of a picture of the reality of what's going on here. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. Boy, that's a problem, isn't it? Guys, the issue isn't if the pastor ticks you off by stepping on your toes. If you ever walk out here going, golly, that's probably a good thing. A problem comes when a pastor stands before you and heals your wound lightly. The fact is that we all stand under the condemnation of God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need our wounds healed lightly. But that's what was going on here. And what they would say is peace, peace when there is no peace. Were they ashamed, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I will punish them, they shall be overturned. Now again, friends, these verses about the, the prophets being judged and when the nation falls, they will fall. I'll read verse 12 again. No one thought that it was a reality. When Jeremiah spoke and said to the false prophets, you are teaching something that is contrary to, not accordance with the Scriptures, everybody just kind of went, is it really that big of a deal? 
That is the attitude that pervades our churches this morning. I could preach for weeks on the false doctrines that are pervade against the people of God, both from the right and from the left, and most would gloss over saying, but is that really that significance of, a, of a, an abandonment of the text? I mean, they're only twisting the word just slightly. We need to believe that when God says that He will vindicate His word, He's going to do it completely. So then... Come to this reality. And we need to reckon with ourselves. And, and, and friends, let me just... I want you all to know, I preach this text to myself all throughout the week. And, and there is so much to glean here. One of the things, I think, is practical applications of, of this reality that, that the nation had heaped up for themselves false prophets who would just tell them light, tepid truths that would make them feel good. Friends, we all do that. We all want to find the person that agrees with us and build our spiritual life in that particular area. The problem is, is what we're doing in that moment. When we, when we find the people we agree with most on political issues and all of those things, and we build our lives around people that will agree with us and preach to us what we, what we like, then we are not building our lives under the authority of the Word of God. We are building our lives under our own preferences with a veil of Christianity over the top of it. We all need to, as we sit in the pew, myself included, be careful that we don't demand that the message suits our own passion. We need to be careful not to allow men into teaching positions in the church who do not live under the fear of God. We need to be careful about applauding young men to stand behind this podium if in their life there is an obnoxious odor of the fear of man. Because I promise you, friends, for ten years I've wrestled with it. I know there are things you don't want to hear. But I know the most glorious reality that there are things that God has to say. And one fear or another will win out. And some people will say, well, I mean, it's okay to come and soften the truth a little bit. What if you just mildly cut the corners off of the text so it's not as abrasive? I don't know that I'm accused of that very often. Probably more in the other direction. Pray for me. Uh, friends, the reality is that it is hateful to prop men up. The, the, the problem here, Jeremiah is saying, yes, the issue is the prophets and the priests, but who ultimately put them in their positions? Who ultimately said, you're doing a great job, keep on, preach on, preacher? We need to be careful about how we encourage those who are ministering. And can I just offer this? It's okay to wound the minister. If you have a biblical warrant to say, brother, I think you're preaching something that is not true here. Let's reason through it. Let's talk through it. I think that's a healthy thing. And we would all grow under the weight of the text. In verse 14, we see the consequence of false teachers they wandered blind through the streets they were so defiled with blood 
that no one was able to touch their garments. In this particular social construct, when there was a taboo uh, socially committed, that individual uh, person was, an, uh, was untouchable. You, you did not lay your hands upon them because there was an idea that the defilement that the person had would transfer into, into you. And what we find here is that finally, after the judgment of God has come and it's too late, the prophets of God are seen and the priests of the nation are seen for what they really are. They are blind men who have been defiled. Now we need to reckon with a little bit the economy of prophets in the Old Testament and see that they were primarily responsible for the heralding of God's Word. They weren't editors. They were not PR representatives. They were messengers. They were called to speak what God had told them to speak, no more and no less. In 1 Kings chapter 22, we find the prophet here saying, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Oh friends, that we would pray that our nation would be filled with with proclaimers of the Gospel who are not into political punditry and into appeasing different disciplines in our country and embroiling themselves and the ministry of the Word of God into all of answering all of the questions of moderns as though God is required to give us an answer to anything, but rather that we would have men filled with the Spirit of God, called of God, who proclaim what God has said they, that He wants them to proclaim. No more and no less. What the Lord says to me, that I will speak. God, give us those men. Friends, we don't understand that that has always been the tension among the people of God. We we, we just prop people up and well, we'll call Him a prophet. Well, if God hasn't made Him a prophet, you can call Him a clown. It doesn't matter. Jeremiah, he learned the reality of the weight of what it was to speak the truth and be a prophet in his day. He came to the message of God. I mean, saying that is easy. What the Lord says to me, I will speak. But Jeremiah knew the pain of that. Because he came to the message and he went, whoa, hold on a minute. God, if I tell them what you have just told me to tell them, they're going to kill me. Which is the import of Jeremiah chapter 6. He's standing there knowing that the anger and the composition of the nation is such that prophets who speak truth, what happens to them? They get slaughtered. But then he faces this overwhelming other reality that is just as much of a problem. If I don't say to them what you want me to say to them, I know what will happen, and that is that it will burn within me. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. They may kill me, but your word has gotten a hold of my heart, and there is nothing that I can do but preach it in its fullness. Friends, when you are called as a prophet, you can't keep silent because the Lord has not just etched these words onto paper, He has written them on your heart. And you won't curb it, you won't soften it, you won't repackage it. What you will do if you're called of God is you will declare it. And some may say, well, yeah, but Jay, maybe 
You just preach the parts that are, you just, it's not that you curb it, you don't need to do any of that. You declare it, but just to declare the parts in the New Testament that are a really wonderful, grand, encouraging text and forget the hard parts. It's okay to tailor the message or to refuse to do part of what God has called you to do. And if Jonah was standing over my shoulder this morning, he would go, what? I tried that. I left and fled the other direction and tried to live life not, not, not denying that God existed, but just going my own way. And, and, and here's what Jonah would tell us this morning. That if you are genuinely, if God puts a call upon your life to prophetically declare His Word, and you decide to go your own way, God's coming after you. He will deal with you. Because he is not going to have his word twisted and turned to the passions of men. So then some of you are going to say, then why is it that there are so many people who can twist and contort the word of God and God doesn't deal with them? Because they don't belong to him. If you find an individual who can manipulate the Word of God and it does not grieve them, mark it down. That person is not called of God. So if prophets were to herald the truth, and they were, then we need to see that priests were the ones who ultimately brought about the the ritual sacrifices to cleanse the nation. Uh, understanding then in this economy, right belief led to a cleansed life. But again, here we find the prophets wouldn't speak. Isaiah chapter 56 gives us an understanding of this. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, and loving their slumber. Matthew chapter 15, and he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat what wa- eat with wa- unwashed hands does not defile anyone." Ultimately, what we see in that entire pericope of the text is the, the reality that the consequence of following after blind prophets is that we fall into the pit ourselves, which is exactly what has happened to the nation of Israel here in verse 15. Look, away, unclean, people cried at them. Away, away, do not touch them. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us 
no longer. Here in this, again, in this system, lepers had to call out before themselves that they were unclean so that people could move away from them. But here the crowds themselves would see the false prophets coming and they would yell out, they are unclean. They have preached a false message. They have done ultimately what is wrong. But the problem for the nation at this point is it was too late. They saw who the false prophets were after the judgment of God had come. Friends, I think in, it, under the condemnation of the wrath of God eternally, no one will be more miserable than those who are false prophets and who have contorted His Word. Not even the demons in hell will want to have anything to do with them. But after the judgment of God comes, it's too late to be concerned with the false teachers who have led you into the pit yourself. Do you see the picture there? It's vivid imagery. It's a stark warning that we are to be concerned with hearing the Word of God rightly. We tie all of this together this morning and we see the reality that the most abusive Preachers are the ones who will make you feel good about yourself. They will give no room for your need to confess your sin. They will not aim in the direction of declaring the text in a way that you might feel convicted. Because ultimately, these false teachers don't ever really stand and work unto the Lord. They work for you. They serve your passions. They serve your thinking. They coddle you in your rebellion. Friends, this is the, 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 the reality we need to step back from all of the Word of God and see. That we have all fallen into the pit. We have all, we have all followed after false teachers and reaped the just reward. And it started way before any of us were born. The reality is Satan walked into the garden and looked at Eve and said, did God really say there is the prototype of the false teacher, the false prophet. And our father Adam bought into the lie and sold every one of us into, the, into sin and under the condemnation of the devil. There's not one of us here who has not had to crawl out from under deceptive lies. But praise be to God. We have a great high priest who is able to deliver us from all of our deception. And it ain't Jay. And it's not Chad. And it's not David. It's Jesus. When I read verse 14, I couldn't help but get Matthew chapter 9 out of my mind. Verse 14 says, They wandered blind through the streets, that is the prophets, that they physically had to experience what they had spiritually done to the nation. And they wandered blind as they had led the nation blindly. And then it goes on, They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. But the glorious reality juxtaposed in Matthew chapter 9 is this. Right in between Jesus dealing with a ruler's daughter 
The Bible records, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and said to, him, said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, for your faith has made you well. Friends, we have a priest that we don't have to wonder if he has cleansed us. Just the touch of the hem of his garment makes us well. Reaching out to him in faith by grace ultimately has made us all well. And by the work of the Spirit of God, day by day, our minds are renewed that we begin to live in accordance with the Word and the prophetic truths of Scripture and not the lies of Satan. Think, friends, the most chilling reality of a a loss of orthodoxy and a loss of orthopraxy is that some preachers spend their lives proclaiming something that they have never experienced. There's a man, and I won't get into this deeply, but his name's Rudolf Bultmann. And he's one of the purveyors of a, a type of thought that says we need to deconstruct. If anybody ever tells you that you need to deconstruct your Bible, you have my permission to kick them and run. I've got bail money. We'll be fine. Um, But Boltman would say we need to deconstruct the Bible because after all, Bill, we live in a day and age where these miracles of the Word of God, that's ridiculous. Do you know that Rudolf Boltman was able to preach on Easter morning services in tears and get people to absolutely respond emotionally in every way that he intended to get them to respond? I mean, his oratory skills were so absolute. There's just one problem. He would herald these messages. And he didn't believe any word that he was preaching. And I'll tell you this morning, I believe the reality is many men will have spent lives with the moniker of pastor over their door, and they will herald these words. The sad reality is that they will never have actually known the living God. They will preach a Christ that they have never known. Uh, Baxter said it this way. He said that they worship an unknown God and proclaim an unknown Christ and pray through an unknown spirit and preach a state of holiness and fellowship with Christ and a glory and a blessedness which are wholly unknown to them and perhaps will remain unknown throughout eternity. The problem when we prop up a false prophet and we say I'll preach on and they don't really know Jesus and they haven't really been called by Christ is that we are hating their soul look at what ultimately happens to these men and women the Lord himself has scattered them he will regard them no more no honor was shown to the priests no favor to the elders. The face of the Lord here. We miss it in the translation. But when it says the Lord Himself, really, I think the better translation is the face of the Lord has scattered them. Now, in the economy of the Old Testament, this is a big deal because when, when, when the face of the Lord is used in Poetics, it is a symbol of the blessing of God. Remember Aaron's blessing in Numbers chapter 6? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And what is being 
pictured here in verse 16 as the Lord Himself, the Lord's face has scattered them. They have left His Word and so He has looked at them and He has said to them, depart from Me for I never knew you. You deserve no honor. Friends, can I tell you this morning that all of the seminary in the world will never make you a preacher. All of the education and all of the books, friends, I love reading. But that is not what ultimately has given me my calling and ability to labor with you over the past ten years. Seminary can ultimately sharpen your tools, but it can't put a fire in your bones. You know, there's a hallmark verse in Jeremiah. You remember it? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you, what? A prophet to the nations. The picture here isn't just a defense of God's creative ability in the womb, although that's a beautiful application of the text. What God is saying is, Jeremiah, I had a purpose for you before you even understood anything. And you say, okay, Jay, that's great. So God forms pastors. No, friends, that's not the point. The point is that we all have a prophetic responsibility to herald the Word of God in our own generation and in our own day. Again, as Protestants, we don't believe that the sacred work of the ministry is left to a few elite. We believe that the entire body is to be built up for the work of the ministry Sunday after Sunday so that we can go out into our job and we can go out into our children's school and we can go out into where we labor and we can proclaim prophetically the wonderment of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God had decreed that He would redeem you and He did not redeem you so that you could herald the, wonder, the, the, the wonderful statements that Hallmark has for this generation. He redeemed you that you would understand His Word rightly and lovingly and in grace seek to speak it to those who have no sight. The problem with false prophets in the pulpit is that they make entire congregations full of false professors. Friends, you know, one of, one of the pastors that that loved me well and is a great man and I'm so thankful for him growing up. He told me one time, he said, Jay, you need to, you need to make a decision about your ministry and your life. Either you're going to spend Sunday morning preaching to the lost and seeing people come to Christ and be saved, or you're going to spend your ministry seeking to look over the lives of people and be concerned with things that ultimately you, you really don't have any control over. What? Like there's so many yeses and nos in all of that. And friends, what I've increasingly become aware of is what we have done in America is we have turned the ministry of the pulpit on Sunday morning into something that it was never intended for. Should we proclaim the excellencies of the Gospel? Absolutely. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, that is our greatest desire as a church is that you would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work alone. But friends, the work of Sunday morning is to equip you for the work of the ministry. 
And when you have a church where the only message is, is to come to salvation, be baptized, and then go sit in the pew and listen to me tell other people to come to faith, get baptized, and sit in the pew, then what we wind up with is churches that no one knows anything to do but go to the baptistry and sit down. We don't become prophets of the Word of God if the Word is not give a, given a plain sense from the pulpit. And so the question then in light of all of this and I'll be done, is what do we do? Seeing that the people of God had followed after false prophets for so long, what is the right response to repent and believe these verses, 12 through 16? I'm going to give you three encouragements. One, we need to pray that God would be pleased to deliver us from false prophets. We need to pray that we would have discernment and that we would be able to see people that teach according to the passions of the flesh and not according to the pure meaning of the Word of God. Secondly, and friends, that's not an easy thing. With tears, I beg people all the time to turn away from people who they really feel that would benefit them in their teaching ministry. And it's a difficult thing. And ultimately, I've learned this in ministry, that I can lend people my glasses, but they have to see with their own eyes. And so what we need to pray for is, God, help your children to see with their own eyes. Secondly, may God grant us grace and wisdom to examine our own hearts, lest we be such men, lest we be false prophets. Let us not be satisfied with what Christ calls naked titles. You know, some church movements have wonderful, big, grandiose titles. And people walk in and they've got big gold rings and they're, you know, they're, oh, so-and-so's coming. Big deal, Jesus is coming. Get out of the way, nitwit. We don't need to be enthralled with being called something. Some of you here believe that we should have elders, plural, in this church. Do you not? Say amen if you believe that. Amen. So there's a good number of you. And some of you about knocked down my door next door to get that to happen. And I'm thankful for that. But do you know why that hasn't happened quickly? Because I've walked in many churches. Sometimes I fly out of here and I go counsel other people. And I've walked in churches where people are hurting and they're crushed. And inevitably, in every one of those circumstances, we have nothing more than naked titles. Men who are called elder who do not love the flock and do not feed them. And it makes me want to throw up. If the Lord does not build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. God has to call men to be elders, not Jay. Can we wait on the Lord? Amen. Amen. We need to examine our own lives. And we need to desire that our hearts would truly know and then serve the living God. Friends, the, the point isn't that we're perfect erudite theologians, although that's a good aim. The point is that we would know Christ fully and make Him known. Third, may we be a people who are driven to our knees in prayer for the purity and the power of the pulpit and that God would raise up men who fear Him and not men. 
that, that, that ultimately God would sovereignly appoint men and equip them to do the work that He has called them to do. May they be men in His image after His own heart. May they be men who He has caused to suffer that they long for so much less of this world and so much more of Christ. And may they be willing to receive these words of Peter. This is really, I think, the aim away from, from false prophets. It's all of chapter 5, and I'll be done, of Peter's first letter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come into your presence this morning and we do ask before your throne that you would deliver us from the evil one and that you would deliver us from all of the false prophets who speak not according to your word, but under the compulsion of the systems of the world. We pray, Father, that you would give us uh, the ability and insight to, to see into our own hearts and our own sin where we are holding on to teaching that buffers our own comfort and our own sensibilities. And Father, would You give us wisdom to examine our own hearts that we would not be false prophets, that we would speak Your truth rightly and clearly. Father, might we see in our day, not just in this church, but around our nation and globally. And Father, we're pleased if You would do it somewhere else in Africa, in Asia, wherever in the world you would receive glory, would you raise up men in pulpits that would declare the truth of your word in power and in purity, living according to your word and heralding it the same. And Father, would the effect of that be that many sons would come to glory and they would hold on to the works of Christ and not to their own. Father, that they would see their identity not in the proclaiming of the word, but in the one who is proclaimed. And Father, might we be a people who support such efforts through our missions endeavors. Might we be a people who who aim consistently to be in Your Word that we would know Your voice and we would follow You and not the thoughts of men. 
Father, would You mold us into the image of Christ? Would You make us people that when we get beyond this life in glory, that we are not cast out. That we are not ultimately without a place, but that we would glorify You in this life and worship You rightly in the next as well. Father, would You be with those who are not able to gather with us this morning? Father, would You, for those men in this congregation that I've had the joy of spending time with this week that are going to be deploying soon, would You comfort them, give them strength in their respective military roles, and would You give strength um, to their families as they're away? Would You be the source of peace and comfort as they are apart from one another? And Father, I pray that that these families would understand that everything that belongs to this church is ultimately at their disposal. That as a family of believers, we are here to care uh, for them and their families uh, during their deployments. And so Father, I I pray that You would use them. And I pray that You would use those men as they go out uh, to be prophets in those areas of service as well. That they would speak Your truth faithfully and boldly. Father, would we be people again who are marked by your truth and who speak it without apology. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. If you would stand and sing.